the financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now, here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast. Today, we welcome Tony Bradshaw. He is the founder, author, and president at The Millionaire Choice. Tony believes there should only be two types of people in the world, millionaires and future millionaires. He helps move his future millionaires from scarcity to abundance via that mindset and lifestyle. Tony grew up in a lower income neighborhood in Nashville, Tennessee, and in his early 20s, he realized he was mismanaging his money and knew something needed to change. That's when he set out to learn how to handle money better. After learning how to handle money at age 25, Tony made his millionaire choice and creates, created his millionaire plan. He accomplished his goals of becoming a millionaire by age 40. Now he's helping everyone he can make the choice and create their own millionaire plan. Tony has also had years of financial experience by running business development for Dave Ramsey. When he's not building future millionaires, he's enjoying spending time with his wife, six kids, and relaxing in his backyard with his chickens. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this was great. I know we we talked a little bit up front, um, you know, before we started hitting the the record button. But I'd love to tell you know tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey. Yeah, uh, thanks for giving me an opportunity. Yeah, I grew up in a low income family. Uh, my mom did convenience store management was one of her primary uh, gigs when I was growing up. She did a couple other things too, but that was the one that she did the most when I was, you know, at home living at home. Um, at points, she was managing up to three convenience stores. That was that was actually the most dangerous job in Nashville at the time because there was a lot of theft, a lot of robbery going on back in the 80s. And uh, she she was robbed at gunpoint about six different times. Uh, you know, I just remember her coming home sharing those stories. Uh, probably the most traumatic one was uh, when she was in there working late at night. And sometimes when you're working solo at night because people quit on you, there's a lot of turnover in the convenience store business. Um, a guy came in, put a 357 Magnum on uh, the barrel on the tip of her nose. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a pretty traumatic moment for her. And, and, you know, the neighborhood we grew up in wasn't a whole lot better. We, uh, one day I was cleaning up the living room of our house and found a bullet hole through the front windshield that went into the kitchen. And, uh, it wasn't an everyday occurrence, but it, it, you know, it did happen. And, uh, so those are kind of the things that grew up around. Uh, we, we had our power cut off, our water was cut off. Uh, we didn't go to nice restaurants, you know, a lot of times, the clothes I wore were probably a little bit too old and uh, needed replacement. A lot of the, the school that I went to, my parents sacrificed a lot to send me to a private school, but we were always, uh, it seemed like we were always behind on the bills and every year we would start the, the new school year. Uh, my name would be the one that wasn't on the, the roster. And uh, there were several times I got on the school bus in the morning to ride the school bus at the beginning of the school year. And the bus driver's like, what are you, what are you doing? You're not on my list. And so, uh, you know, my parents wanted me to go to school there and made a lot of sacrifice, but we were uh, often behind in, in paying the bills. And uh, even at one point, I think we were about two years behind on tuition. And uh, the principal of the school, for whatever reason, allowed me to keep coming there, and uh, which is where I graduated. I went there from second grade through 12th grade, but he, uh, he made a lot of sacrifices for me. And I don't know why he showed me such favor, but he did. But yeah, uh, you know, power getting cut off, water getting cut off, you know, funny stories. 
um, you know, my, my mom would come home from work and the water would be cut off at times because the bills weren't paid. And, uh, you know, they come and turn the water off at the meter outside of your house. And uh, my dad and I would go out there and flip the, you know, take the metal lid off, take the what's called a water key, reach down in there and uh, turn the water back on so we can, you know, take showers and, and bathe. And then uh, eventually that works pretty good until you get too far behind and then they'll just come out and padlock it. And uh, and then you're, you're not using water at that point and uh, you don't have any. So that was, you know, kind of the life I grew up in. And I just thought that was kind of standard. I didn't really think much of it. And as I got older, I've kind of realized that that's that's probably not the way we we're supposed to live. But it's the way I lived. And so at 25, I was, uh, you know, got out of college. My parents helped me go to college. They sacrificed a lot there. I didn't go to a really expensive school. It was pretty affordable. Got a got a scholarship, paid for half of it, worked for half of it. And then uh, got my first W-2 out of college and made $39,000. And that was about six, seven times more money I'd ever seen in my life. Um, prior to that, I think I'd made maybe five grand in one year. Uh, during my college years, I'm like, holy crap, like, where did all this money go? You know, how did I make it? And then where did it go? And uh, I sat down and thought about that question. You know, what, where did all this money go? Because I was living at home, uh, Paul, with my mom and dad in a studio bedroom apartment, paying about 200 bucks a month in rent. And I had a car in the driveway that I paid $315, if I remember, a month for the, the car note. It was a $14,000 car when I bought it, a Saturn, four-door Saturn SL2. 1994 model. I bought a four-door because I knew I was going to get married one day and I needed to go ahead and plan for that. Not the sports car. You know, the, the young guys buy the sports cars and they have to sell them when they get married. So I just figured out, I would just jump over that and just go straight to the four-door and, uh, and looked around and, you know, I had a nice stereo, nice computer. I financed the computer and had about 16 grand in debt. So I made 39 grand, but had 16 grand in debt. And that's $55,000. And back then, that may not be a lot of money today. Uh, it's a lot of money for some people. But for back then, that was a lot of money. And uh, and I just realized, man, I can't. what I did last year with my money, I could never do that again. Like, that is a terrible, you know, future if I keep doing that. Like, it's just going to stack up and add up. So I went to the bookstore, Books a Million, in Rivergate uh, area of Nashville, and started learning everything I could about money. You know, back then, you didn't have the Internet. So I just read and read magazines, picked up some books. And uh, specifically, Kiplinger's Magazine, Smart Money Magazine were a couple that I looked at, subscribed to those. And then very quickly, what I learned was money's really not that complicated, Paul. It really isn't. Mm. You just do. You just have to do a few things well, and you can be in a very, very different place than you are today. And as a 25-year-old guy, it didn't take me very long to figure that out. So I immediately started changing my financial plan, and uh, which was no plan, which was spend everything I made. There was no plan, so I just spent everything. Ate out a lot. Ate out a lot of food. Uh, ran around. You know, spent money at movies. Wherever I could spend it, I spent it. And um, so when I put my plan together, I went from spending everything to going. You know what? I'm going to live off about a thousand dollars a month. So I'm going to chop my chop my paycheck up into three pieces. I'm going to live off a thousand dollars a month. So instead of living off, you know, all of it plus some, I'm going to do a thousand. I'm going to pay off my debt because debt's my enemy, right? I saw. I immediately shifted and go. I don't want to be a debt guy. I want to be a no debt guy. So I started tacking my debt right away. I paid about $1,000 a month on my debt, uh, mainly on my car. So, you know, instead of paying one car note a month, I was paying like three and then paying towards my credit card stuff. So I was accelerating. And then the last thing I did with my money, which is a little bit different than what, you know, Dave Ramsey teaches, um, instead of waiting to get my debt paid off, I had enough disposable income where I actually started investing at the same time I started paying off my debt. Now, that, that might not work for everybody. 
But because I had enough money and my expenses were low enough, I was able to do all three of those things, live off my what I had, pay off my debt, and start investing. And what that did for me was at the end of about 18 months, I had all my debt paid off, and I had about $18,000 in uh, mutual funds and stocks. So and that was an 18-month turnaround from spending every dime I had and going to $16,000 in debt to being debt-free and having $18,000 in investments. And I was about 20. I think I was 27 when that happened. I met my wife in there. And uh, and uh, unfortunately for me, uh, she had some debt too. So I was debt-free and uh, ended up paying on her $20,000 in debt. So I picked that up after I'd gotten rid of mine and started on hers. Wow. Wow. No, I, I, I this is... I'm looking down at some of my thoughts that that I was uh, putting. First of all, I would love to interview your mom at one well, point, right? Like, I wish you, I wish you could, but she yeah, she. Away. I'm she so sorry to hear that. It's she sounds like a wonderful uh, woman, and same with your dad, right? You guys, it was a very touching story. You guys really came together. And to you, like you said, you knew one lifestyle. This was how you lived. So to you, I, I, it didn't sound like you felt bad on yourself. This was just the way life is, right? And you kind of go through it. So there's this level of of humbleness and gratefulness that's kind of inherent into the lifestyle. Does that make sense? That's what kind of what yeah, I heard. It, it does. It does. Yeah. My parents, uh, when you get into that, because a lot, you know, one of the things we'll probably talk about today is uh, people that make excuses on why they're not wealthy. Um, the reality is I've interviewed a hundred millionaires and th that my story sounds a little bit difficult, but man, I've listened to some people that uh, spent three years in high school in Chinese concentration camps. And now they're millionaires. Uh, people that grew up um, you know, with their stuff as kids being thrown out on the street, losing their house, not having a place to live and their dad being thrown in jail and their mom being a crack addict. So, and then they end up being millionaires. So, you know, I've heard the stories. There's really not an excuse for people to not be able to do it. It's, it's a, it's a mindset shift and a behavior pattern shift. And the, the beautiful thing about it, Paul, is that the process is repeatable. You know, it's, I've seen it enough to where you go, you know, if you do the right things, if you make the right, that's why I, I labeled my book, The Millionaire Choice, because I made a choice to do something different with my money and do something different with my life, make different choices. But, you know, my dad, my mom and dad, uh, they grew up in very rough homes. They didn't get a lot of family support. And so I was very blessed at the way I was brought up. When I look at what they had to deal with as children, and then look at what I had, like, there's not even a comparison between what my parents had to grow up with and what I was benefited from because they made a, you know, they made a, 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 an extreme jump forward in quality of life from where they were. Now, what was interesting about that, Paul, was I didn't really appreciate that till I was in my thirties. Mm. I was a, I was a little bit of a arrogant, not too arrogant, but just enough arrogant. I didn't really understand the sacrifices my parents made in my 20s and probably in my early 30s by the time i got to my mid and late 30s i started kind of really going oh my gosh and now i'm you know i'm 52 now now i'm like my god like my my i was so fortunate that my parents were able to improve their style of life and quality of life and make the decisions they did considering the families that they grew up in, lots of alcoholism, lots of support. My dad dropped out of school in, in uh, 10th grade to support himself because his family wasn't supporting him. So, um, and I won't even go into the stuff my mom had to deal with, but yeah. So I do, I, I do appreciate it. My dad's 72 years old, still working full time, by the way. Oh, that's uh, cool. 
Yeah, and so he he's uh, he's just a workhorse. He doesn't know how to do anything different. He'll he'll be doing that till he's like ninety five or something. Yeah, yeah, no, no. A lot of the things you said resonated. The Kiplingers and getting out of debt. I remember my first big credit card debt, and I got out of it, and I started paying myself first, and I did a whole episode on that. Uh, but I, I could go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole with just your intro. But I I think it really kind of I want to jump into the crux, right? So. You talk about the book. What is the millionaire's choice? Can you can you go into detail? What is the book all about? What's the what's the main theme? Um, and you know, and 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 take us through that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, you kind of hit on it earlier. I spent about fifteen years working with Dave Ramsey. Um, I led his digital business and brought him into the digital age. Um, I never intended to go back into personal finance, Paul. Like it was a shock. It was a shock to me in two thousand seventeen. Uh, when I actually decided to write this book, felt like I was being led to write this book. 2016 was when I left the Ramsey organization, almost exactly a year later. I started writing this financial book and I uh, felt spiritually led to do it. And uh, originally, um, I had a different name for the book, but it ended up becoming The Millionaire Choice. And the, the beginning of the book is really when I when I started on this road, it's really about empowering people to realize that life can be different. That's what the choice is all about. You know, our lives are where we end up. We can't really control where we're, what we're born into, but we have a hundred percent control over where we end up for most of us. Now, for some people, it is more difficult that you just got to admit that. Like if you grow up um, in a, a drug infested family or, you know, uh, parents that have a lot of drug addiction or alcoholism, it, that is a more difficult place to come from than even where, you know, where I came from. So you have to acknowledge those challenges, but I'm going to tell you, there are people that do it. Like they make the choice. They live differently. Um, you know, I've got a friend, JV crumb, the third, he was five years old when he made his millionaire choice. The reason he made his millionaire choice, his choice to be wealthy instead of broke was because his mother would not let him buy candy bars in the grocery store and told him not to ask for one because she did not want to be embarrassed by telling him no. And he, she didn't want people to think they were poor. So little five-year-old JV goes home and goes, what is wrong with this problem? Why can't I have a candy bar? There's a problem here. How are we going to solve this problem? And he goes, I know. When I grow up, I'm going to be rich. And he started telling his mom and dad that. I'm going to be rich when I grow up. Mm. Of course, most people will dismiss that because it's an excuse. It's, our, it's almost like our, our excuse for like living life the way we are. And like, how dare you, little kid, you little five-year-old? Yeah, that's cute. Go ahead and you know dream. But face reality, 25 years old, J.V. Crumb was a millionaire. So 20 years wow. later, from age 5 to age 25, uh, I've got another friend, uh, Jeremy Newsom, uh, amazing guy, uh, started stock investing when he was six years old after watching Forrest Gump with his dad. And he heard Forrest Gump talk about uh, Captain Dan. I'm going to see if I can do my best Forrest Gump impression here. <laughs> Captain Dan, he he bought this fruit, and we no longer have to worry about money. And uh, so little Jeremy looked up at his dad. He says, Dad, what's he talking about? Like, we're worried about money in this house all the time. Why is he not worried about money? He's talking about fruit. And what what is that? So his dad told him, he said, Jeremy, he's talking about Apple computers, and that's supposed to be in the ho everybody's house in the future. And Jeremy tells his dad, says, Dad, I think we should buy some Apple stock. Six mm. years old. His dad goes, oh, Jeremy, that's just make-believe. That's just the movies. It's just make-believe. Jeremy goes, no, Dad, I think we really should buy some Apple stock. So his dad says, Jeremy, you go find some money. I'll tell you what. You find some money, and I'll match you. I'll match, your, I'll match you whatever you come up with. Jeremy goes out, starts climbing the fences, picking blackberries. 
starts taking blackberries around by the pints, knocking on doors, selling blackberries to the neighborhood. Comes back. I don't know how much longer, how much after that that conversation happened. Told his dad, I said, Dad, I got some money. I'm ready to buy some stock. His dad goes, how much you got? Jeremy goes, I've got $1,500. Six years old with $1,500 in his pocket from selling blackberries to neighborhood kids and neighborhood families. His dad goes, oh, crap. I don't have, have $1,500. So he calls his brother up, says, I need to borrow some money. So they bought $3,000 in Apple stock. This is like 1996. That stock matured to $12,000, and his dad sold it. Ah, yes. So yes. today, today, now that was a good investment, right? You turned $3,000 yeah. into $12,000, great investment. But today, that would be worth approximately $34 million. So Jeremy's first investment had the potential of becoming $34 million. Now Jeremy teaches people personal finance, how to do options trading, st uh, stock trading, things like that. And he's got his own island in the British Virgin Islands, and he's 34 years old. So wow. that's, that's the stories that you, that are out there all over the place. So the reason I tell those stories and I encourage people to do the millionaire choice is because I want everybody to know that the people that become millionaires are no different than you. They're no different than any of your listeners. They're just getting into the jet stream. They're making different choices. They're making different decisions and they get there. And uh, Paul, you know this as well as I do. One of the things I find you asked about the choice. The choice is really about shifting your mindset because most people are stuck with no financial vision for their life. And that's what I find when I coach people is the reason they're stuck is because they don't know how to create a vision for their life that gives them a different future from where they are today. So they keep doing the same thing over and over. I call it like the financial gerbil wheel where you mm. go to work, you go to work and you go home and spend it. You go to work, you go home and spend it. You go to work, you go home and spend it. And you never go anywhere else. And that's what I was doing at 25. I was doing the same thing until I made that millionaire choice where I'm going, you know what? This is bad. I need to shift. And then I learned a little bit. I call it getting money smart. I got a little money smart and not real smart, just enough, right? To get moving in a different direction. And then when you start moving in that direction, that different direction, you make that choice. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be, you know, have a super high IQ. You just got to get going in the right direction and then let things take their course over time. And that's that's the principle. That's the opening of the millionaire choice. That's the, the premise behind the beginning of the book. And then I get into the principles, the the character, the steps, the the things you got to do to actually go from making that choice to what I call is creating that plan and then executing your plan, which I believe it's possible to produce uh, predict when you're going to become a millionaire uh, plus or minus one year. So that you can actually be there. And that's what I did. I said, you know, 25, I think I could be a millionaire by age 40. Let me do that. I was able to do it. It didn't happen exactly like I planned, but it did happen. And that's the cool thing about it. Like, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just got to get going in the right direction and just, you know, stay faithful to that goal and keep moving forward. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I have one off topic question. I think I might be asking some of these questions out of order. So forgive me, but this one popped into my head. When we talk about investments, we talked about mutual funds. We talked about stocks. What are your What are your favorite investment choices? And and then we'll we'll start to talk about changing the mindset and creating the plans and stuff. But fundamentally, at some point, people reading your book and and others will 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 say, "Okay, I'm ready to invest." What do those investment choices look like to you? Can you tell us some tell us some of your favorite investment choices? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would tell you the first principle that I've had to develop after I've you know matured a little bit is 
from where I started investing to what my investments look like today, right? And what I tell people is that it's okay not to have everything figured out, but you need to commit to continuing to grow. And I'll talk about that principle. That's the getting money smart principle. But as far as investing goes, which is a question you asked, is invest at the level of competency that you have, right? So if you're just starting out with stocks, don't go try to do day trading and options trading. You're going to you're gonna probably lose. You got about a 99% chance of losing those first investments. And you're going to get a sour taste in your mouth. You go, I tried stock investing and I lost my money. I'm no good at it. That's not true. Everybody fails at sometimes. It's the people that keep going that figure it out. That's, that's the way it works. It's just the way it works. So for me, when I first started, I, I focused on two types of investments. I focused on mutual funds. Uh, because of some of the research I had done. Now, I wouldn't say I picked a particularly good mutual fund. Uh, today, a lot of times you'll hear people say, hey, pick the S&P index fund, just stick with the index fund and call it good. If you're going to do if you're gonna do mutual funds, that's probably as good as advice as anybody would give. I'm not giving advice here, but but that's what's out there. That's a common practice. The other thing I did is I was very heavy into technology. So I was studying technology, learning about technology, always researching the latest technology that was out there. And so I was what you would call swing trading tech stocks. So I was buying like Dell, Intel. This is when Dell was coming out of, you know, Michael Dell was bringing the computers out of his garage and into the mainstream. Um, I was buying, I wasn't buying any Microsoft at the time, but I was buying Intel, Cirix, AMD, which AMD is still around. Cirix is gone. Um, Micron Technologies, computers. And I was just watching the new tech come out. And I was making about 60 to 90% about every six to nine months. That's what, that was my trading uh, algorithm that I was running with. I would watch the uh, news releases. I would know when the technology was coming out in the spring. I would buy it three, about three months before it would actually pop. And then I would wait for it to come out. And then once it came out, I knew it was going to get mainstream and it would hit a big uptake. And then I would ride that wave up and then I would sell. And then I would ride it back down and and or watch it go back down. And I just kept flipping stocks there. Problem was I was only dealing with like five, six hundred bucks at a time. So you're not making a lot of money doing that. But that's that's where I was learning. Now, today, um, what I've learned in the way I look at things is a little bit different. And uh, if you look at people's primary investment mechanism, they will invest in the stock market. Why is that? Because retirement plans are set up to invest in the stock market. So their 401ks, their IRAs, and equities, stocks, is the primary form of retirement planning or retirement. I think that's very dangerous because if you look back through history, go back 100 years to the stock market, there have been two of those 100 years, there have been two periods of time um, where the stock market was just basically down or flat. And that was from uh, you know the 1920s up until the 1950s. You're talking about a 30-year period of time where the stock market dumped and didn't recover for 30 years. So like consequently, like what if that happened today? Most people that have retirement plans in the stock market would be dead before the stocks recovered. And so that means they're, they're, they need that money. So that's not a good plan to have all of your money uh, in necessarily stock market. It's not very safe. Now in the 1980s, you saw, I think it was 19, it's either 1970 to 1990 or 1980 to 2000. You saw the same thing happen, and I'd have to go back and look at it, but you got a 20-year period where the stock market was down or flat, and so you have to be careful about that. So you need to look for opportunities where you're going, hey, um, I'm, I'm, I'm diversified. I'm not just diversified across an equity group like, like a mutual fund. I actually have some real estate maybe, and uh, the way I look at it, Paul, 
is when you roll the clock back 5,000 years, just go back 5,000 years of human history, what are the three main things of wealth that have spanned 5,000 years? Every dynasty, every kingdom, every country. It's, it's really just three things. And do you know what those three are? See if you no, I, I, I'm going to guess and say it'd it be real estate, gold, and silver. Those are the three things that popped into my head. You, you're, you're almost there. You got one more thing. It's business ownership ah. because you can make money with business. And so, and that's one of the things I missed because I grew up in a job type mindset. So even through 2016, I've worked jobs from age, you know, probably started with my mom and dad, like age eight. Right. And you start doing chores before that. And so I got programmed with the job mindset of working a job and I got paid really, really well. Like my, my previous employer, employer, I got no complaints with what he paid me. He paid me extremely well. But what I wasn't doing was using my mind to think about how I could create alternative income streams so that when my job, which all jobs eventually end, just go ahead and predict it. It's going to happen. It's either going to be by your choice or by somebody else's choice. And so when you do that, when you know that's coming, how are you getting ready for that moment in time to where there's a pivot? And I wasn't ready for that pivot when it happened to me in 2016 when I left uh, the organization. So uh, I've spent the last six years, really the last five, re rethinking, like, what does my future look like? And so now when I'm rebuilding my income stream, I'm going, you know what? And I'm telling my wife this too, because my I've been the primary, I've been the only income earner for 24 years, but I'm trying to get her to go, hey, what happens? What if something happens to me and I can't, I'm not here? What if I have a car wreck? What if I have a heart attack? What if, uh, you know, how are you going to make, how are you going to take care of yourself, baby? You know, what's that look like? So I want to get her in the best position, but she has to take some ownership in that. So I have to teach my wife about multiple income streams and go, this is, this is how we make money. Now, it's not just one big fat check that we get every month, it's maybe it's five smaller checks that equal that one big fat check and and what does that look like and how do you do it so that's that's a different way of thinking but when you roll back the clock 5000 years it's really comes down to three things it comes down to real estate which you know they're never making more of it so always be acquiring more real estate always acquire more real estate i wasn't taught that my mom and dad had one piece of property they paid 30 years on that mortgage to pay that one piece of property off that still all my dad has they should have gone and bought some more property the second one's gold silver I didn't buy, start buying gold and silver until about uh, four years ago. If it was me and I could rewind that clock, I probably would have bought 5% of my income in gold and silver for the last 30 years. I would have just said 5% buying gold and silver for 30 years. And it's just part of, it's part of that generational uh, wealth mindset. When you look at uh, China right now, you can go read James Rickard's stuff. He's a fantastic author. Um, China's been buying up gold and silver for the last decade, really gold, but silver too. JP Morgan Chase Bank has been buying up silver for the last 10 years. You have to go, why are all these guys buying up gold and silver? They're all hoarding it right now. Why are they hoarding it? Well, you're going to find out because the economy is in a bad, is in pretty bad shape right now. So they, they kind of knew this was coming and they're getting prepared for it. So you have to, as a, as an individual think that way too. Now I, I did not know to do that until the last three or four years. This is new learning for me. So, and then the business thing. So find out a way, whether it's a business or some other way to make money other than your job. That way, if your job does end for whatever reason, you're not left there with zero. You've at least got some kind of cushion that you can leverage. And so that's what I would do differently about my own financial plan. 
but those are the three big ones that I think are most important right now. And then you can get into equities and, you know, stocks and stuff like that. And then there's different ways to trade stocks, right? Mm-hmm. The simplest way is mutual funds. Then a step up for that would be buy and hold, which you're familiar with that strategy. You buy it. And uh, you're probably, I'm going a, I'm to a date you a little bit here, Paul. What are you like? 45, 43. Oh, you're generous. No, I'm your age, sir. 52. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So buy and hold, right? It's like, hey, buy this stuff, hold it for 20 years, right? And that's, that's a buy and hold strategy that, that you can make money that way. I made money with swing trading, which you buy, you kind of ride the waves up and down. If you get good at it and you study it, it requires you to be more of an active investor than a passive investor. Now, my good friend, Jeremy, and a guy I'm working with, they make money with day trading and they teach people how to do it. And uh, this may be something you want to look into, Paul, but they have these things called trading rooms now with technology, right? So you literally can subscribe to somebody's trading room and go watch them trade and learn firsthand and watch them be successful. And these guys are making literally tens of thousands of dollars per week, and they're teaching other people how to do it. And they have a whole network of people. Um, And it's really fascinating stuff, honestly. But in the old days, we had to go figure that out ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you got people who already figured it out and now you just got to learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is all great stuff. And I'm glad we went down that, that, that side path. I want to kind of come back to the millionaire's choice. And one of the questions I have is how can one change their financial mindset and make that millionaire's choice? Because I feel like it's kind of like in some respects, it's either, you know, you're going to be on the dock or get in the boat, you know, it's that type of scenario. And you, and mm-hmm. if you try to, straddle both and not make your mind up, you wind up going in the water, right? So, so how can one, you know, change their financial mindset and make that, that choice um, to be a millionaire? Yeah. I think the first thing you got to do is stop making excuses, right? And that's the thing. When I tell somebody I'm a millionaire, the first thing they do is they'll either embrace me or they'll roll their eyes back in their head and they'll go, you got lucky. I'm like, no, I didn't get lucky. I worked my butt off, right? So I invested in myself first and gave myself more opportunities. Um, so you got you got to start doing that, but it starts with your mindset shift and realizing that just because you grew up in a broke home and a broke family doesn't mean you have to stay broke, right? There's opportunities out there to get to break free from that, and and that's what I love about you know the stories and the interviews I do on my show, The Millionaire Choice, is because I'm, every week it's a, somebody sharing a story that's got some crazy thing that happened that they were involved in or you know grew out of or whatever. And every story reinforces the fact that anybody can do it. And so if you don't believe you can do it yourself, borrow somebody else's inspirational story and go, I can do it because because Tony Bradshaw did it. I can do it because uh, Dr. Ming Wang did it. And Ming Wang was in a Chinese concentration camp for three years. I can do it because, uh, you know, just fill in the blanks, man. There's so many people out there. The other thing you got to do after you do that and you start believing you can do it, you've got to put a vision behind it. Right. So that's what I love about Ramsey. You and I are both Ramsey fans, right? Mm-hmm. Dave, there's the majority of people, you've heard the statistics, 70 to 80% of people in America are living paycheck to paycheck. Why? Well, they don't even realize there's a financial game going on. Dave is the best in the in the in the world, really, of getting people into the game of personal finance. And how does he do that? Well, he's taking somebody's pain point, which they're going, Hey, I'm broke, I'm having money fights, can't pay my bills. I, my life sucks. Why don't, why don't, why does my life look like this? I don't know. I, how do I get out of this? And he takes that pain point and he goes, Hey, Jim, trust me, you can be debt free. You can have a debt free life. And he gives them that vision. So when people can't have a vision for themselves, it's okay. Go borrow somebody else's vision. 
And Dave gives them a vision to become debt-free. And that's a vision they can get their heads around because it's really hard to go from being broke and to uh, believing you could be a millionaire. That's a big gap. But if mm. you go from broke to believing you can pay your bills and get rid of your pain, that's an easier jump to make emotionally, belief-wise. You can believe that. You can get your hand around it. And Dave helps you get to that point. But that's a mindset shift. So whether you choose to be debt-free and get moving or you choose to jump right into the millionaire pot like I did where I'm like, hey, I could go. I don't have to be broke. I can be a millionaire. Just make your choice and move. And then you got you got to put some action behind it, right? And so I've mentioned a couple of the millionaire keys. Millionaire key number three is get money smart. And it's a very, very important key because the other excuse that people make is they go, oh, the rich people got lucky or they'll say, I'll never be rich or – uh, rich people are bad, so I don't want to be rich because the rich people are bad and, ri and money will ruin me. And, you know, the, the favorite, right, is uh, money's the root of all evil, which is a lie. It's not. It's the mm. it's the love of money is the root of all evil. That's that's the scripture out of you know the Bible. And all of those are all just excuses to make people feel feel better about themselves on why they're not doing better with their money. If they they got to flush all that stuff out and then they got to go realize this. Here, here's the truth. Millionaire key number three, get money smart. You spend 12 years in school, 13 if you count kindergarten, studying math, English, and science. I went to college and got Cal 3. I think it's Cal 4, right? And I studied to be an engineer. I did engineering for six years after I got out of college. I, haven't, I, I couldn't even work calculus anymore, all right? You know what I didn't learn at any point in that? I didn't learn personal finance. And you got to shift your mindset to go, I studied math, English, and science and other subjects. For 12 years, went off to college, got four more years, 16 years, got a master's degree. You know, it's 15, 17 years, 19 years, all the education. At what point did you spend learning about money? And you have to shift your mind to go, you know what? I'm not just going to take a semester of personal finance. They have a requirement now for schools. You're not going to be a math. You're not going to be a money genius after one course of personal finance. It's a waste of time. You've got you to commit to go, this is a lifelong journey. I'm going to learn something new about personal finance for the rest of my life, and I'm going to be very intentional about that. I'm going to read books. I'm going to listen to podcasts like Paul Fagan's. I'm going to learn and, and shape my mind. That's part of that mindset shift, right? And then that's a big one. You've got to do that. So commit to doing it and keep doing it for the rest of your life. A little bit goes a long way. Then you've got to get into a group. I, millionaire key number four is find a money mentor. Um, now, you're a money mentor, Paul. I'm a money mentor. We have our podcast. You can find a local money mentor. Go hang out in a group. But the biggest thing there is you want to hook up with some people that are going where you're going, right? If you're hanging out with broke people, you're going to be broke. It's the way it goes. If you're hanging out with people that all want to be millionaires, you're probably all going to be millionaires together, mm. all right? And, and so that's what you want to do is surround yourself with people that have similar goals going the same place you do. And then here's something I'm going to add in here because this is new teaching for me. I've just started teaching this in the last two years because people start hearing us talk about wealth and abundance and they start to feel dirty about it or guilty about it. like, oh, I don't want to chase money. Let me tell you, money, you don't have to chase money if you just make the right decisions. The money chases you. It gets in your pocket. It just happens. It's a natural occurrence. It's a wealth building is a natural thing if you make the right choices, the right decisions. But here's the key ticker. I want everybody to hear this. You need to learn how to make, manage, and multiply your money better, and you need to learn how to do it with a purpose. You need to put a purpose behind your money. And here's what I mean by that. 
if the good people in this world have the money, we will solve the world's problems. The problem right now is the people that have the money, they don't care about the problems because they're, they got so much of the money. Matter of fact, the problems help them make more money. So mm -hmm. it, it centers that control. And here's what I mean by that. Um, there are over a, a, right at a billion people that go hungry in this world every single day. That's about 15%. I think 15% of the world's population goes hungry every single day. All right, billion people. There are 45, I think, million uh, human trafficking slaves in the, on the planet. 45 million. Hmm. 4.5 women, I'm sorry, 4.5 million people in the sex trafficking trade. 98% of those people are women. And the average age of a human trafficking slave girl is 14 years old. And once that girl gets trapped in human trafficking, she has a life expectancy of seven years. So think about that, Paul. Yeah, Young girls, 14 years old, trapped in, in sex trafficking, ha are going to be dead, most of them, by the time they're 21. Those are big problems, man. Those are really big problems. 147 million orphans. I could keep going on. These are big problems. We have the money. The money, the money is not the problem. It's the direction of where the money is going that is the problem because enough of that money is not being directed to solve those problems because the people that have it don't care about those problems. They don't, they don't want those. They don't care about those. Okay. That's just a fact. If you want to, if somebody wants to call me and talk about it, I'll be glad to talk about it all day long. I'll give you 24 hours of my time to talk about it. Right. But we have to be okay with the fact that we, that money is a tool to solve those problems. And uh, for me personally, Paul, when I was 25, I'm like, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm age 40. My focus was for me to have a better life. That's as far as I could see, right? And I supported orphans. I wrote checks. I donated money. Now, as a 52-year-old guy, I've got a different perspective on wealth. And I feel like I have a responsibility to build mm -hmm. as much wealth as possible because those are really big problems. And the more money I have, the more impact I can have on those problems. So I need to do a better job of learning how to manage my money and building wealth so that I can solve more of those problems and help more people. And so that's a different thing for me. And I've honestly just started thinking that way in the last three years. Like I've had to evolve over time. Um, and it, it's been a it's been a fun journey uh, just trying to figure out, you know, 52 years old like you. But I'm like, hey, I'm going to live to be 100, right? I just figured this out. Like I, I, wanna, I got a lot of work to do in the next 50 years. Let's figure out how to do that. That's great. And and I think we talked a bit about kind of changing the mindset. And had now let's say someone is now decided, yep, I'm going to I change my mindset. I want to move forward. How did they create that millionaire plan? Is it is it digital? Is it a notebook? Um what does that look like when they're creating the plan? We talked about vision, we talked about the numbers. Is it a combination of these pieces? Can you talk a little bit about creating that millionaire plan? Yeah, absolutely. So we talked we talked about shifting your mindset. You got to do that. You have to look at your time. So uh, we've all been born with the same amount of time. You better make sure you use it properly, right? So a lot of people are so focused on the money asset. They're not as focused on their time asset and where they spend their time. Uh, the average American spends 130 hours watching television uh, a month. That's a full-time job. You're not going to get rich if you do that. So you better figure out not to – you better put better habits in place and not do that. Um, so those are the two basic ones. We talked about uh, getting money smart. You do that. So once you learn the principles of like watching your money, which is budgeting, I have a very simple budgeting formula, Paul. I don't like to budget every penny. 
uh, that's good for some people. What I believe more in is getting your money directed into the right places. So I break my budget into four quadrants, uh, living money, wealth money, others money, and play money. Others money is gifts and giving. Uh, play money is what you use to have fun and lifestyle. Living money is what you need to live off of. And then wealth money, which is the one that's the most neglected, is the reason why people are going broke because they're not they're not putting their money into that bucket and getting building wealth. So once you decide to go, hey, I'm gonna be a millionaire. How do I get there? You need to start filling that wealth money bucket up. And uh, you know the typical financial advisor t says uh, invest 15% of your in income into retirement. That's a horrible plan. And the mm. reason it's a horrible plan is because if you make 50 grand a year and you invest 15%, which is 6,000, what, uh, I'm sorry, $7,500, you're not going to have much. You're not going to have much at the end and inflation's already wiped it all out. So you got, you got no lifestyle. So you need to go, okay, I need to set a goal. And I usually teach people to set a goal of their first year investing a minimum of $10,000. Just go, I need to invest $10,000. Tony tells me to start at ten grand. That's an easy number. It's a little less than $1,000 a month. Start there, get moving, okay? Now, when you hit that ten grand, because it's a, it's a different question. If you tell somebody to do 15%, that's a, that's a goal that you can meet no matter where you're at. And then you get soft. You don't have aspirations. But if, you, if I tell you $10,000, that's a very predictable number that I can extrapolate out 20 years and tell you where you're going to be. I can predict where that number is going to go. 15% is it's more volatile. It's not as solid. So I tell people 10 grand. And then I say, when you hit 10 grand, up it, double it, go to 20 and go, you know what? Mm. I hit my 10 grand goal. It took me one year to hit my 10 grand goal. Tony says to double my goal now at 20 grand. How am I going to get to $20,000 a year? of investment income. And then when you hit 20, up it again, up it again. That's how people become successful because they stretch themselves. They don't get complacent and get satisfied. They get, you, you can be satisfied with your life, but also stretch yourself a little bit. Here's a number, crazy number. I did this number about two years ago. The average American, average person on the planet is going to work 150,000 hours in their lifetime. That's from like age 15 to 65. That's working a 40 to 60 hour work week. Okay. 150,000 hours. The question is, what are you going to have left at the end of that at 65? Because that's a lot of work. And most people are broke at, at that time. And that's, that's not excusable. So you gotta, you've got to think that way and go, okay, I'm going to put all this work in. And here's why that's important. You can, when I, when I got out of college, I made 39 grand. My mom made 35 grand. I made four grand more than my mom my first year out of college. I thought I was the king of the hill. I'm like, man, I just got here. She, I'm 20 years behind her. She's been in this job, doing this job thing for 20 years, more longer than me. I'm already making more money than her. I'm, I'm like, I'm like I'm, I've hit it. This is good, right? I never realized that my income potential was way, way higher. I never realized I could make 100 grand a year. I never realized I could make a quarter million a year. I never realized I could make half a million. Now you don't have to go to half a million to to be, become a millionaire. Remember, I only made thirty nine grand, and I put my millionaire plan together off thirty nine thousand. Whatever that is, the main point I'm trying to drive is you you don't realize your potential as a person or as a human. So don't be satisfied or complacent. Complacent's probably the better word. Uh, satisfied is a state of affair, right? But complacent is not really living up to your full potential. And that's the thing I want to get across. But once you get that, 
you got the that's your your budgeting or watching your money. I talked about how to break that down, the wealth money component. Gave you some stuff there. Then it just becomes a, a point of taking all of this financial knowledge and putting it into a package. And that's where the millionaire plan comes in. That's millionaire key number 10. And it's pretty simple, right? It's an income plan. What's my income? If you're making 30 grand, how are you going to grow it? What are you going to do to grow it? So income plan. The second step is debt plan, right? Are you going to use debt? Are you going to avoid debt? I was a no debt guy. Um, if I could go back and redo it, I probably would still be a no debt guy, but I probably would have strung out my debt payoff a little bit longer. So now I feel more competent in understanding of how debt works. I'm still a no debt guy, but I also understand that it's not the end of the world if you use debt in some ways to uh, to build wealth, right? And uh, we can talk a do a whole show just on that. The third one is what's your investment strategy? I call it multiplying your money. How are you going to multiply your money and get your return? And what I teach people is look for at least a 10% return per year. Um, it is doable to do that. Real estate, uh, I've gotten, uh, let's see, I doubled my money in my real estate uh, within, uh, let's see, three years, five years. I think I, I more than doubled it over a, uh, let's see, I bought it in 2015, sold it last year, 25 years. So I more than doubled my money in five-year time frame. Sure. So it was like, I think I made uh, 750 grand over five years on a, a $650,000 property or something like that. So, um, and other people make more money in different ways, but find out what those little opportunities are and learn how to leverage those, whether it's stocks or whether it's, you know, whatever those things are. Don't, and I would say, don't settle on one. Don't, don't, you can start with one, but like we talked about earlier, look at ways to diversify. Cause there's, as you get smarter, you find better ways to multiply your money. And it doesn't mean you go all in on that one, but you, you kind of look around and maybe you've got your money in like five different places and you're watching it grow. And, and it's okay if some of it's in gold and silver and it doesn't grow as fast and some of it's in crypto and some of it's in real estate, some of it's in stocks. But and then when you put all that together, here's the cool thing about that. And this is why the millionaire plan is so powerful. Once you put all that together, and I do that in a spreadsheet, uh, Paul, for people. Mm -hmm. Once you put that together, it will predict out a date, and then you get to play with the numbers because you know if you're making seventy five grand a year, and you then go, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire in twenty years, your brain will start figuring out how to cut your expenses, how to boost your income, how to get a different investment, and once you see that date so clearly in your mind, that vision becomes really that clear. You'll figure out how to speed it up, and you'll you'll become more accelerated, and you'll get your family on board. Your wife will get on board if you're you know you're married, and it, it, everything just it starts to work together. It starts to be a lot more clear and working together. Oh, that's great! Yeah, I could keep asking you all kinds of questions um, in regards to these topics, um, but I think we've covered a ton today, and I'd love to have you back on the show. Maybe we could go deep into crypto or go deep into how to raise a future millionaire. Um, I know I want to ask you a little bit about family bad habits and breaking those habits. So I, I think we'll save those for another show. But there's two questions I really want to ask you um, before before we kind of wrap up the show. One is, if you're comfortable and, and as much as you want to share, how was it working in the in the Ramsey or Dave Ramsey organization, uh, we talked a little bit before we started hitting record. I'm a big Ra Dave Ramsey fan. It's no secret on this show. Uh, whatever you could share, just a, a couple of minutes on how your life was working at the Ramsey organization. 
Yeah, I had a good time there. I started when uh, Dave's company was about 30 people. He'd been in business for about 10 years, I think. Um, so I went in in 2001, early 2001, uh, made an engineering shift, shift from engineering career to computers and then into Dave's organization. And uh, yeah, it was fun seeing the, you know, the early startup days. Dave, Dave used to give speeches all the time of, I never wanted employees. I never wanted employees, right? And he's got all of these stories about, you know, as the company grew. And it was really cool to see the power of the inspiration and the vision and how, uh, you know, just spiritually he was used, I do believe, used by God to impact a lot of people's lives. He is the, the biggest name in personal finance on the planet. There really is not a close second. Maybe Robert Kiyosaki. Robert really has impacted a lot of people with his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But yeah, seeing the company grow, like like any startup, it can be really stressful. You got a lot of, um, I'm in another startup right now that I'm working with. And you've just got to wear a lot of hats, a lot of adapting and uh, see things where go. Um, the culture was really cool. One of the coolest things I think Dave did when I went to work there, and I think, honestly, I think it was a big part of his success. He is a natural teacher. Like he is a, a teacher. He does a great job of that. He does it on the radio. He does it in the business. But he very quickly developed a, a program called uh, Entree Leadership. And uh, I was there, I think, about 30 days, maybe a little bit longer. And he had this premise of going, hey, if I'm going to grow this company, I need to have leaders. And I'm either going to have to hire my leaders outside or I'm going to have to train them inside the company. And so he actually put together the Entree Leadership Program and taught it weekly for like 26 weeks. And so we as employees uh, would come in. Uh, like four o'clock, he said, I'll, I'll give you, uh, you give me half an hour of your time. I'll give you half hour of mine. And so he would let us for, we would come in. I think it was, uh, I, I don't remember what time we locked. I think we knocked off at five o'clock. So I think it was eight 30 to five 30 job back then. And, uh, we'd go in at five and stay till six. And so he would teach us and he would prep those lessons every day for 26, 26 weeks. And then that became the backbone of his leadership development. And here's what I think did what was so cool about that. And I do believe in, uh, it's one of the reasons I believe in personal development of teams as much as I do these days for business growth is it gave everybody in that company. It didn't mean if you were an assistant, a mailroom clerk, a sales guy, I mean, whatever your job was, all the employees went through that that chose to go through it. And what that did was it gave us a unity of business development. And that was it was a pretty cool thing to see it grow. But his leadership was really strong in those early days. And uh, it was a fun time. A lot of culture, a lot of emphasis on culture. Paul, I had a good time while I was there, and he's, he did a, an amazing job, I think, growing that business to where it is. Oh, that's great. And then the last question I have for you is you've, you're doing a lot. You could, you've done a lot. You're continuing to do a lot. You wrote the book. You have the startup we just learned about. We could probably do a whole uh, setup on that, a whole podcast on that. You talk about uh, your six kids, so you and your wife and the backyard chickens. How do you balance all of this? How do you fit it all in? And I know one of the things you're probably going to tell me is you probably, if I ask you what's on Netflix this week, you're not going to be able to tell me, which is great. I, I noticed that about people who are really productive. They don't know what's on TV most of the time. But if you could tell us, you know, how do you find time to balance it all out and, and fit it all in? I don't, I, can you tell me how to do that, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. No, I tell you, uh, I'll tell a little bit of a story on myself. Uh, I wasn't the best uh, use of my time. Uh, through my 20s and my 30s and well into my 40s, I was a video gaming addict and an uh, entertainment addict. So I probably have logged somewhere between ten and 20,000 hours on video games, which started when I was about 25. Um, I would come home from work. 
uh, get on the computer probably around 6 or 7 p.m. and stay on till midnight or later. And uh, that was my routine. And uh, after, even after I got married, it was really bad. Uh, we, I, did, I tried several years to try to break that habit. Um, and I had seasons where I was off and on. But I still was able to uh, use enough of my time to grow my in- intellect, right? So even though I was using a lot of time to play video games, and also watch movies. I was big. When Netflix came out, I thought it was my responsibility to watch my Netflix DVDs the night that they came in the mail. So <laughs> I would go through like two DVDs worth of material in one night when I got home from work, get it back in the mail the next morning, and it would take uh, three days for it to get to Netflix and get back. So I could cycle through like two or three cycles of my DVD subscription to Netflix every week. And I was just ridiculous amount of entertainment time and video game time. Now, for me, what shifted is I, I still focused on learning, still focused on growing. But what has really shifted for me in the last probably four or five years is I just I just turn the TV off. I don't sit in front of the TV. I, the only time I turn the TV on now is if my, we want to sit down as a family and watch a movie. So I will pretty much have to watch time TV with my family. And on the treadmill, I'll turn something on the treadmill. But even on the treadmill, what I've started doing is turning on YouTube videos to watch marketing training. So instead mm. of watching the news or watch, I just flip on a YouTube, pull up a, you know, I don't know, Facebook marketing and just start watching Facebook marketing videos to learn how to become a better business guy, better marketer. And I'll alternate, like I'll do some entertainment, but then I'll flip back to marketing. So I'm probably 50, 50 on that. But uh, yeah, I mean, you have to man. Uh, and at 52, I think when you're younger, you think you've got all the time in the world. And as you get older, you realize you don't. And uh, my mm. mom, my mom passed away at 67. Uh, I'm 52. So if I pass away at her age, I've got 15 years. Um, I had a boss uh, that passed away at 65 from cancer. Both of these people died from cancer. My mother-in-law passed away at 70. So mm. I am much more um, conscious of my time now at 52 than I was at 40 or at 30 or at 25. And for your listeners, your longer, younger listeners, I would tell you like, what you can accomplish in a in a ten year span of time is truly incredible. Like a lot of people that are older think, oh, it's too late for me. That's all BS. Like when you look at what, uh, think about what uh, Alexander the Great did by the time he was twenty eight. He conquered most of the known world by mm. the time he was twenty eight years old. So don't ever make the excuse that it's too late or you're too old. Um, the reality is, it's not. Like you can become a millionaire within seven years or less. Like that's a doable thing. And the question you have to ask, I, I, li- I listed some examples earlier, Paul. A uh, five-year-old guy believes he's a millionaire by age 20. Are we, as 50-year-old guys, more capable of becoming a millionaire than a five-year-old? Mm. The answer is yes. The answer yeah. is absolutely yes. So that's that's the power, I think, of the millionaire choice and the power of our minds if we just redeem our time and take action. But that's how I manage it and and do it now. I have to be you have to be much more intentional about your time. And uh, can I can I share one exercise with you real quick, Paul? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So most of the problems with where we go and end up in life is formed out of our habits. Like what we either have good habits or we have bad habits. Unfortunately, most of us have bad habits. Like I just outlined a couple of mine. A lot of entertainment. Uh, I did not exercise as much as I should, so I'm dealing with some health issues. I'm trying to get better at that. But if you would just sit down, take a piece of paper, it only takes about 15 minutes, and just make two columns. One is your bad habits. One is your good habits. 
and list out your bad habits. You don't even have to list them all. Just think about what you do every day and go, this is not a good habit. 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 For me, it was video gaming addiction. I've been, de- I've been video game free for two years now. Like I just said, I can't do it. Like it just, I, it consumes me. I just got to stop. So I just quit. I don't need it. I'm not missing it. I'm cool. Um, video, uh, watching Netflix, same thing. That was on my, my do not list. Right. So my, my, habits list my good habits list so i take one of those bad habits out of the, out of the rotation and i get to stick a new rotation in right and that becomes oh read a book uh develop yourself more uh network at some meetings uh meet some new people so you you it's it's really that simple if you just take your list of bad habits your list of good habits and make sure you have more good habits than bad habits you're going to end up in a pretty cool place and, uh, you know, one of those we talked about, get money smart, right? Make that on your your good habits list. How are you going to make that a habit to where you're going to be better next year, right? Be better next, be better tomorrow than you are today. If you adopt that strategy, you'll end up in a really good place. Oh, that's great. No, I, I thank you for this. And I usually do a summary recap and some of the things, I mean, there's there's so much. I'm just kind of jotted down, you know, the four main investment types for the last thousand years, right? Borrow someone else's story and vision, Um you know, be with like-minded people who have like-minded goals, right? The four quadrants of the budget, right? Being non-complacent and, and this habit exercise, right? There's there's more I missed, but but thank you for all of this. And what I want to do is let you have the last word in terms of um, tell us any final thoughts you have for the audience. And also, where can people find you? How, how can they connect with you, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Paul. Um, final thoughts. Uh, don't listen to this podcast and not be different tomorrow. Do something different tomorrow than you're doing today. That's huge. I was thinking the other day, like uh, 2023, make it a goal to do something like memorable. Like just make, just make it like make that your year. Do something memorable in 2023. So uh, as far as finding me, you can go to The Millionaire Choice. Um, I'm, I'm on a big push. That's themillionairechoice.com. You can book some free time with me if you want to hang out for an hour. I give away a free hour of my day to people just to coach if they want. Um, I'm doing a big push right now on Amazon. So if anybody that's listening to this wants to pick up my book, please do post a review. Uh, that would help me out a lot, uh, just to kind of get the word out. Right. So, uh, the more people we impact, the better the world is going to be, the better place that things are going to be. But those are the two big places. And the last one is uh, TonyBradshaw.com. If you want to check out my blog and some of the stuff that I've got posted over there, there's some free resources there as well. Awesome. Well, well, Tony, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today and I'm personally looking for the next one. Hopefully we'll have you back on the show at some point. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Let me know when, Paul. I'll be here. Perfect. And thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul reminding you managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the financial dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well.